Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 125. Still excited about that interview I got to do with Katie Prejean McGrady that went live on April 30th. If you haven't had the chance to do that, definitely go out and check the Ave Explores podcast. So I was inspired by that because anytime that I'm mentioned in somewhat the same breath as Chris Baglow, that's a really good day for me because uh, Chris Baglow does awesome stuff. And that got me thinking, you know, she she interviewed Chris Baglow as a part of their, um, Katie Prejean McGrady interviewed Chris Baglow as part of their Ave Explores series talking about the relationship between faith and science, which I was privileged to also appear as part of that series. And that got me thinking, hey, we've talked to Chris Baglow. So yeah, I'm in a time of incredible transition right now that I'll get to tell you all about in a month or two. And uh, Bill, I know, is is just dealing with finals and the insanity of that uh, at Holy Cross College in South Bend. So yes, this is one more uh, rerun episode, but it's a rerun episode with a purpose. Um, because Chris Baglow and Jay Martin, because Jay Martin, his, his uh, conspir- co-conspirator, uh, conspiring to do all sorts of wonderful things for helping Catholic schools in particular teach people better about faith and science. Because... Faith and science are not in this locked in this eternal conflict. They are not opposites of each other. That's crap. And we need to stop believing that that's the case. The fewer the people in the world that believe that, the better, because in fact, it's completely false. Um, that's what this episode is about. There are specific concrete efforts. Chris Baglow has written and put through a second edition, a really cool textbook on a textbook for high school students, for high school students who give a darn, which is, you know, not always to be taken for granted, but uh, yeah. So he's he's put together a textbook. He has he, they do workshops. Um, they have a really great outreach. So we got to talk to them back in 2019. This was actually these two episodes were the finale of season one of that. So second millennium, and uh, I hope that uh, Morgan can do something with the audio to probably make it just a little bit better. And I think Bill can probably do something with the show notes to make those a little bit better. So we'll, we're going to dust these off and bring them back to you while we're cooking on other stuff in the background. Before I hang it up, I should mention that, yes, the Society of Catholic Scientists conference is on for the first weekend in June. Uh, we're back this year. Well, hopefully we'll be back. Um, definitely cooking. Uh, th- those are ideas that are cooking in the background as well. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you a lot more interesting stuff in June. So for the moment, just listen to the dulcet tones of Chris Baglow and Jay Martin, two great human beings, talking about why faith and science are not opposites and in fact go beautifully together. See ya. We're uh, very privileged here to be talking to Chris Baglow and Jay Martin of the Science and Religion Initiative of the McGrath Institute for Church Life here at the University of Notre Dame. So the McGrath Institute um, has a major initiative to uh, bring to especially high school science teachers in Catholic schools mm-hmm. um, yeah. across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, sort of perspective, and how would you like to put that? Yeah, so we, we work with teachers and help them engage in integrating their curriculums, mm-hmm. their curricula in faith and science, yeah. in religion classes, and then also in science classes. To, mm-hmm. 
basically create a dialogue at each school that we serve mm-hmm. between the two disciplines that the teachers are capable of leading. Yes. Yeah. 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 To, to be able to discuss that competently, and it's, and it's chiefly at the high school level. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Although, the, the earlier you can get it, the better, but uh, one thing at a time. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, that, that speaks to me a great deal because that's, that's been my own personal journey through faith was that, you know, I started out with uh, the idea that science was on this track and religion was on this track. Um, and never the twain shall meet, with the result, of course, that by the age of, like, 14, I was a thoroughgoing atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, so that's that's addressing a key, I, I suspect is addressing a key need. I don't exactly have the statistics to back that up. But, uh, yeah, we do, and you're right. You do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're having this interview right here and right now. So, uh, yeah. So, um, and you've just gotten back from quite a while down in Louisiana, some strategically timed uh, trip to Louisiana oh, yes. to do... Uh, yeah, we were down there the, the, the first full week of January mm-hmm. for the Gulf Coast Faith Formation Conference, which is a big okay. event down there that serves uh, a large region of dioceses mm-hmm. in the Gulf South. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, we were uh, we, we put on an event there on overcoming the myth of conflict between faith and science. Right. And a similar themed conference was given at a high school in mm-hmm. New Orleans, Holy Cross High School, mm-hmm. which um, has been a, a great partner for us in terms of the work that we do in faith and science, a school that's really kind of mm-hmm. taken the vision of the Science and Religion Initiative and run with it at their school. Mm-hmm. And they had also invited other schools there. So about 160 participants at the Gulf Coast Conference and then 116, 120 mm-hmm. at the Holy Cross event. Mm-hmm. And and those were also chiefly from the the Gulf and the Southern regions. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Science and religion teachers, the whole faculty of Holy Cross actually participated mm-hmm. uh, in a second event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, we sort of stereotypically think of people in the South as you know sometimes sometimes coming in more on the religion without science side as opposed to the mm-hmm. science without religion side. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Catholics. Not the Catholics. Right. 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 And the initiative also hosts during the summer a uh, uh, more in-depth and longer-term introduction to these topics for teachers from around the country. Am I right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We have three uh, seminars every summer. Mm-hmm. One here, one down in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and then the second, the third one, which is a more advanced seminar for schools that are have been through one of the two foundation yeah. programs um, uh, called Capstone. So we have Foundations Notre Dame. For mm-hmm. a week, Foundations of New Orleans, which lasts about the same, mm-hmm. and then Capstone, which is shorter, about a half a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, three or four days. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what what uh, what do you do at each of these? You know, is is there a difference between the Notre Dame and New Orleans ones? Is there a, and a, and then what do you do that's different at the Capstone? Um, what, yeah. what, what issues do you discuss? You want to do Notre Dame or yeah? So at Foundations of Notre Dame, it is a sort of lecture based kind of format mm-hmm. where we bring in. Uh, a handful of some of the best, uh, you know, most prominent researchers uh, at top-tier universities, research, research universities, uh, to, to, to talk about um, faith and science as it pertains to their own discipline. Mm-hmm. So we we have um, we have a biologist, we have a physicist, we sometimes will have a chemist or an astronomer, um, philosophers, theologians, mm-hmm. uh, and we we tend to. Spend about, I guess, about two thirds of our time in the in the sort of lecture seminar question and answers, um, and there's a, a reading component that leads up to the the Foundations of Notre Dame seminar that prepares them for the material they'll get in the key in the keynote. The, the remaining third is devoted to uh, 
sort of implementation workshops where the mm -hmm. teachers from the schools, each, each school applies with uh, a track of three teachers, usually a science, um, two scientists, mm -hmm. uh, and one of the requirements to get their, their stipend or their, yeah. their honorarium um, is to produce a integrated lesson plan, mm -hmm. which we've over the last uh, two years have been archiving and building a, a sort of broad web platform to distribute these. Um, mm -hmm. And so we tend to be a more sort of humanities-focused uh, event at Notre Dame, unlike Foundation uh, New Orleans, which Chris designed mm -hmm. uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, and so Foundation New Orleans, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. We use many of the same texts. Each, each event has an eight-week online reading phase okay. that's Prior moderated the... by, yeah, by, by veterans who have kind of been at this for a while mm -hmm. um, that goes on in the, for an eight-week period before the event. Yeah. Foundations New Orleans is, um, so Foundations Notre Dame is lecture-oriented. Foundations New Orleans is more lab and seminar discussion-oriented. Yeah. So uh, there are many, many Catholic schools now who are entering in their science programs the STEM movement yeah. um, following the next generation science standards and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so we wanted to have an event where some experience of being in the lab yeah. was involved. And so we have three science experiments that are part of the event, one in physics, one in chemistry, and one in biology. Mm -hmm. And these uh, experiments were designed and chosen, chosen and designed so that they could actually be a platform for beginning to ask the big questions about mm -hmm. the relationship between faith and science. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what our event does. And then we also have, we have some lectures in there too, but we also have a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. So we we meet and talk about the various texts that they read in advance and go from there. Yeah. One of the you know no, foundations of Notre Dame has been more my bailiwick for the last few years. But one of the most impressive things about the New Orleans experience and the, and the lab focus is it, it uh, the lab the labs together with the discussions provide uh, teachers of the you know of different disciplines to have the sort of experience of coming to knowledge. Mm -hmm. in the other field. So we have theologians who are doing, you know, um, different, you know, lab experiments, and, and maybe for the first time in a number of years, yeah. can, can have the experience of coming to knowledge. Like, this is what it means to have to gain scientific knowledge. Yeah. And then in the seminar discussions, where we're talking about, you know, the theological or philosophical texts, uh, the scientists, for maybe the first time in a number of years again, have... Yeah. Like, well, this is what theological knowledge looks like when it's yeah. coming together. Right. And it's a powerful thing. I, I was really blown away the first time I went down to FNO to see this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would be a very potent combination there. Mm -hmm. And then, so what does the capstone? Um, so the experience? capstone event is we, we choose a theme. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, the first one in 2017. Uh, is, was on quantum mechanics. Um, sure. Mysteries, quantum and divine. I think yes. that was the, uh, with Steve Barr. With Stephen yeah, Barr. Stephen Barr. Yeah. Um, uh, last year was on the new atheism with David okay. Bentley Hart. Mm -hmm. And this summer we have a number of presenters who are coming to talk about human consciousness and reason as it relates mm -hmm. to human origins and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So and so we have actually there's three things going on in the capstone. You've got the theme and the presenters on that. Yeah. We invite administrators from these schools, and mm -hmm. they have a special track, which is about helping them learn how to intentionally mm -hmm. bring faith and science into dialogue across their school's curriculum. Yeah, uh, And then also, 
more, you know, kind of best practices for the teachers who come, some breakouts on how to, you know, mm-hmm. how to really do, you know, bring bring this to bear in the classroom. Yeah, an yeah. improvement. Yeah, yeah. and Jake, Jake could add more. Well, just uh, Capstone it was designed for basically a, a second step after foundations. Yeah. So the majority of our teachers, uh, I mean, maybe two-thirds, uh, are teachers that have gone through the, either foundations in Notre Dame or New Orleans. We do have some schools that apply that already have very developed Science and religion kind of integration at their schools, and yeah. we kind of shuttle them from the FNO or foundations applications to Capstone. Yeah. So we have uh, it's a it's a fascinating kind of dynamic because we have schools that have are familiar with our programming or already have a degree of certification that would be um, sort of unmotivated, undermotivated at the foundation seminars. Yeah. So people hit the ground running in a way that that we, ha- we haven't really experienced yet. Mm-hmm. Um, with our foundations programming, so it, it's it's really it's really fantastic. It's a very intimate kind of setting. We have discussion sessions that follow that kind of go into three tracks. We have the like as Chris mentioned, the administrative track. Then we have an integration track, which we have a curricular expert talk about how how could you create you know curricula based on what we just heard in the lecture mm-hmm. uh, and talk about strategies and ways to look at the sort of pedagogical process. And, but then we also have an academic track, which is for the more nerdy among us, myself included, <laughs> who want to talk about the issues that were discussed in greater depth with the speaker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. and th- that's been really wonderful. Yeah. All three have been really successful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that is a great... Yeah, to sort of break that, you know, because you can, you can, I mean, of course, you know, my experience is probably a little extreme, but, you know, being that sort of isolated person of faith, even, even in the context of being at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not, you know, not ever bridging that, you know, letting some of the inside out and actually seeing, you know, like, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm worried about this yeah. or, you know, or I'm curious about this. And I've always wondered this myself. Does this make any sense to anyone else? Yeah. Is that a growing trend among Catholic schools uh, to understand the value of teaching this kind of interdisciplinarity and synthesis? Yeah, actually, recent data from the John Templeton Foundation, which funds our whole yeah. programming, yeah. Um, shows that a significant number of schools, at least in the respondents that they've had for a recent study that CARA did, funded by Templeton, yeah. uh, say that they're that they're beginning that they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help schools do it better. Yeah. Um, to do it with good information, good resources from you know from leaders in the fee- in their fields. Yeah. Um, from people like Brother Guy Consolmagno, who has been on your yeah. podcast before, yeah. Stephen yeah. Barr, the president of the, of the Society of yeah. Catholic Scientists, yeah. somebody like Dr. Dan Keebler at Franciscan University, he's the head of the biology department there and runs a lab there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Uberg from Harvard, who yeah. uh, who's, also in the know, leadership right, of the Society right. of Catholic Scientists, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that you, so that we have you know um, the scientists there to help them really groom their teaching. You know, yeah. it's, it's one thing to have the intention and even to make an attempt at integrating faith and science. Yeah, it's another way to do it well. Yeah, uh, in a way that yes. doesn't promote pseudoscience. Yeah, yeah, or. In a way, you know that uh, that isn't just sort of that, that kind of glosses over the questions and some of the sh- and some of the sharp detail yeah. And, yeah. and 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 careful reflection that needs to be given to them. Yeah, and, and, I mean, one thing that we found, in addition to just the expertise, mm-hmm. and you know, there's the sort of uh, the content that, that they gain, but also there's a sort of reassurance that I'm here with a Harvard astrochemist 
who is an expert on planetary uh, planetary formation, um, those are huge. But yeah. one of the most fascinating things, and, and really, frankly, encouraging, is the, how quickly a sense of camaraderie is built up at, mm-hmm. at these schools with people who come, who come, especially those who have come twice, mm-hmm. and who in the second round come with their administrators. Yeah. They by the time they leave, a lot of these schools have a vision of what they want to do. They have kind of assurances of the goodwill of their colleagues and administrators to do it. So yeah. the, the, the the recent Institute Day we had at Holy Cross High School was really born out of their experience coming to foundations and then coming to, to Capstone with with their principal or president yeah. of the school. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and they were champing at the bit to get going, and they did it. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. it was an amazing event la, you know, last month, and um, just remarkable things are happening at, at the schools who are bold enough to really work hard at doing this well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to kind of wrap around... Mm-hmm. These more wide impact events that we have called Institute Days mm-hmm. come out of, kind of grow naturally out of these summer seminars. Yeah. Teachers come and they invariably say, I wish my colleagues had been here to hear this. Right. I wish they had a chance to share this. Yeah. And uh, they, they, you know, often then will ask us to come. Yeah. And so we'll come with a team yeah. and spend a day with their faculty. Yeah. And, you know, and just give them a general understanding. Yeah. You know, talks yeah. like, Catholicism and Evolution by Stephen Barr. Yeah. I do one on science and the Bible. Yeah. Um, Corey Hayes from St. Joseph Seminary College down in Louisiana does one on Galileo. Yeah. You know, uh, and just so let's make sure everybody on the faculty is able to get good information about this that's, you know what I mean, that's broad enough that the major questions are addressed. Yeah. Now, Chris is not going to mention this, but uh, (laughs) before he began working for, for the SRI, um, he wrote a textbook, oh, yeah. really the first textbook on on uh, science and religion for Catholic high schools. Yeah, it came at an unfortunate time in which the the, the bishop's curriculum for high schools was, was being solidified and did not include this component. But yeah. one of the, one of the things that's so impressive about the textbook, and, and we've seen schools use it. Yeah, um, we, some of the schools that we've worked with have it as a regular textbook for an elective course. Yeah, courses that use it are developed at our seminars. Is it, it, it gives it's a sort of concrete example that you can that this has already been done mm-hmm. um, as a sort of foundation. Yeah. And part of our, our recent grant term, Chris wrote a second edition, and we're it, that's with the editors at the uh, press now. We're developing an ebook, mm-hmm. and then we're going to be developing uh, additional institute days that focus on how to use if a school were to develop a course around the textbook, how they could do it effectively. Mm-hmm. So we have we have uh, I think a critical mass of resources of relationships with schools and teachers and administrators and also adjacent societies, Society yeah. of Catholic Scientists, Lumen Christi Institute at the University of Chicago, yeah. uh, Catholic University of America, who really are interested in uh, in, this kind of edu- in this kind of educational movement, and we have the resources and we're continuing to develop them to make this easier. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still early days yet, hopefully. I mean... Yeah, yeah. So, um, it seemed... One thing that I've noticed, so when I when I wrote the textbook, right, um, I, I I actually did it. It's a long story, but I did it as a request from a Catholic high school, a McGill mm-hmm. Catholic High School in Mobile, Alabama, as a curriculum for them. Yeah, and after and in the proposal, I I, I asked for permission uh, if I could seek publication, which Midwest Theological Forum yeah. published it in two thousand nine. Yeah, but at the time, I really felt like I had created maybe a boutique item yeah. for. 
that small percentage of blue ribbon Catholic schools that have decided we are going to stake the future of our school's excellence uh-huh. on the best science curriculum we can we can produce. Yeah, and we'd like to have something in religion. Yeah, that's that answers to that. That complements that. Yeah. Um, however, over the you know over the past ten years since the book was published, yeah. more and more schools are moving precisely in the direction that McGill Tulin was trying to move in mm-hmm. back in two thousand five when they first asked me to do it. Yeah. Um, so the relevance of the topic is becoming more and more you know, uh, clear, yeah. more obvious yeah. to Catholic educators. Yeah. And to the bishops as well. I, I, in November, I went to the U.S. Conf- the USCCB, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops meeting at the mm-hmm. request of Bishop Robert Barron mm-hmm. and his Committee on Catechesis and Evangelization to talk about faith and science yeah. and the disaffiliated young Catholics, yeah. those who are no longer practicing their faith and a large majority of whom cite the conflict between science and religion as the reason they don't. Yeah. 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 So there seems to be to answer to answer your question, Bill, there seems to be a burgeoning sort of movement in that direction. And the demand for our programming has kind of given anecdotal evidence of that. There's yeah. a lot of more people sort of looking for this kind of thing. Yeah. I ran three years of a Templeton funded seminar on faith and science from twenty eleven to twenty thirteen, sp- mm-hmm. uh, sponsored by Templeton and McGill Tulin. Okay. Um, and it took me, I can't even, I can't tell you how many hours it took me just to recruit enough schools yeah. to actually have the event. Yeah. Now, I mean, every year more than double the amount of schools we can actually uh, host yeah. for our summer seminars apply. Yeah. We have to turn away far, you know, and yeah. it's kind of sad, but far, so many schools just because we just don't have space. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that you know that begs for either either just turning over the Dad Blaine football stadium to it, or, <laughs> or you know for for universities across the country to start picking this up and, and expanding right. expanding that to be because yeah, I mean it's I mean yeah, and and that's and that's interesting. I have always wondered about that statistic about well, I mean the the idea that there's so many so many students cite or so many young you know, young former Catholic. Uh, cite this idea that you know that there's the conflict between science and religion. And I always wonder. I always wonder how many of them. I mean, have have even thought about it that deeply, and how often it's sort of that's what they say, and it's actually a proxy for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, in my own life, I have my own you know kind of struggle between you know, I mean, just a sort of existential despair, which you know, sort of part and parcel of the modern world in any case, and right. maybe the human condition in general. Um, it was just too much hope. It was too much to hope for, and so, that somehow, somehow this Bible track and this science track could somehow it was it was that there's a fundamental yeah sense that there's and so I almost see what you're doing is in a way sort of at the service of the virtue of hope. In terms <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah, in fact, there might there might actually be an answer. No more profound compliment could be given. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just to put make that yeah. a little more concrete. I mean, that's the, uh, a very prominent feature of our feedback. Is teachers who come from school saying, "I thought I was the only one," yeah, and I'm not, and I'm you know, and, and right. especially teachers who come from schools where they don't have a lot of support structure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even schools will say, "We thought we were the only ones doing this. We thought we yeah. were the only ones who didn't buy that science and religion have nothing to do with each other." Or, yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing, and I think uh, with respect to hope, a lot of teachers leave here not just eager to teach in integrated in an in- integrated ways about science and religion, but to, to mm-hmm. teach in general th- that 
they can do something mm-hmm. that they only maybe hope they could do or mm-hmm. thought was notionally possible before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, of course, why why I wanted to name the podcast that so second millennium to sort of take a, to sort of take a, a wide maybe Ratzingerian sweep across history is that I think you know the second millennium almost I mean I think one strand of it is that you know there was the institutional church and it it, it became a hypocritical church in a broad sense being welded to the political state. Um, and the wealth and privilege that come with that. And then the, the last 500 years, the second half of the second millennium has really been about the sort of reaction of, you know, the Protestant Reformation, angry at that. But, of course, the Protestant church has become so embedded in the state as well that there's then the, you know, the movement toward, you know, on the one hand, ever ever more splintering Protestant denominations, and on the other hand, simply toward, you know, what we what we now call progressivism it's gone by however many names at this point the enlightenment and you know liberalism and progressivism but the some of it's i mean so much of that is it's trying to be more christian than christian it's yeah. it's almost an, um yeah. and that's and i think and i think there is that sort of psychological impulse deep below mm-hmm. you know this this sort of more surface issue i mean have you ever read Lawrence Krauss's A Universe from Nothing? Mm-hmm. Or attempted to read that book? Um, I've had, a, I've had a, at least a novice's introduction to it. Yeah. yeah. I, I read that book a number of years back, and it was one of the things that I came away from the book, first of all, wishing that I picked up this book because I wanted to learn some physics, and you did not spend nearly <laughs> enough of this book teaching me physics. Yeah. Second of all, my God, what has that man's life been like? Because he does not want God to exist. No, he yeah, practically yeah, yeah, yeah. screams it yeah. from well, certain pages. I bet, I, I, okay, so this is, <laughs> this, is, this is wild speculation, and sure. I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. Yeah. But my experience is that many people who think that way, yeah. who wish God doesn't want to exist, if you ask them yeah. who God is or what God do you wish does not exist, right. and they gave you a definition, yeah. you would agree with them. <laughs> you would not, well, yeah, yeah. No, please, please. I sure hope that. I hope if that, God, if that's what not. God is, yeah. that God doesn't exist too. I hope there's not words, an angry white man in a chair right, yeah, sitting right, on a cloud exactly. somewhere, Absolutely. you know, throwing, you know, yeah. hellfire and damnation at people. Yeah, I hope not. When I, when I, I talked to the bishops about this, yeah, I was asked actually. I was asked by Bishop Barron if I would share five questions that people ask the most about faith and science. Yeah. And instead, I decided to share the questions that they never ask. Right. But I wish that they would. (laughs) Yes. Because it seems to me that part of our responsibility here, and I'm talking about not just the Science of Religion Initiative, I'm talking about Catholics today, is to instigate better questions Uh, about God and meaning. Yes. Because people are asking the wrong kind of questions. Right. Um, And and, and they're they're attacking a straw dog version of, I mean, yeah, that... You know, that 700 years ago, no one believed it. That's just right, like, exactly. Just like, I mean, was it was it Father Ehrman yesterday who was talking about, yeah. um, you know, the no one in the 15th century thought the world was flat. No one. Yeah, right, right. You know? Yeah. But even, even, even deeper than that, yeah. I mean, um, so nobody ever asked, what do you mean when you say God creates everything? Right. God's right. the creator the of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, is, okay, do you mean that God is is some kind of like mechanic in the sky, like right. an all powerful engineer, right. or you know, micro uh, an all powerful micromanager of complex processes in the universe? Right. I mean, if that's what you mean, 
Yeah. Then the the Christian tradition is univocable. Univ- I mean, uh, unanimous rather mm-hmm. in rejecting such an idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as soon as I can say what it is, I'm not talking about God anymore. As soon as I can comprehend it, yeah. Uh, as soon as I can come out and yeah. say, you know, uh, yeah. Then I'm, then, I'm, then I'm completely off the mark. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think this brings up one of the real virtues of how our speakers, and, and this is, I think, one of the, the chief virtues of Chris's textbook, and, and, and now as, as he's transitioned to be our director, which, which is really permeates our programming, is an insistence on, on sort of epistemic humility. Yeah. Is, is we want to say, tell people, give them ways to think about these questions. We don't want to give a definitive version that they go home and recite and have their students recite and their students recite to their friends and their parents and their families, whatever. What we want to do is just say, look, is begin with, with I think, a fundamental, what feels like a concession, but it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. This is hard. It's hard Mm -hmm. to read scripture and figure out what it has to do with what we know scientifically. And what what Chris's book models and our speakers, especially Stephen Barr and, and all of them really, is that Whatever the science and religion dialogue is, it's not about the creation of a sort of authoritarian or even an official sort of discourse. Yeah. What we're really talking about is showing people, if you know what Scripture even says about itself, and what the, the Catholic tradition especially says about what Scripture is, mm-hmm. then you can think more clearly through what it has to say about the created world and its status and its relationship to God yeah. and the relationship between human beings. It's, but, but it begins with a, a sort of baseline commitment to epistemic humility that, that anyone who's going to succeed in the dialogue has to practice. And we hope to model that. Um, being willing yeah. to say, I don't know. Yeah, which is which you know, is crucial to being a scientist. Oh, sure, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ironically enough. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you were mentioning the science in the Bible. Yeah, yeah this, the science in the Bible tracks would seem to run parallel, like in geometry. Yeah, uh, two never, parallel never lines the that never meet. Shall meet. Yeah. Um, yeah, that brings me to another question I, I share with the bishops that I never get asked. Yeah, when did science and religion enter into conflict? Right. Everybody assumes they've always been in conflict. Right. They assume that somehow intrinsic to their definition is some kind of conflict. Yeah. They don't realize that this is the product of late nineteenth century. American anti-Catholicism in one, Among one other case, things, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, or also political yeah. maneuvering to justify secular education. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, th- those kinds of things, and we get to address those with teachers. Yeah. It's very, very the joy of discovery mm-hmm. that's involved for the teachers when they read the text that we do, or when they get to hear from yeah. our presenters is fantastic. It's very exciting. It's like when I brought my, my, my two youngest children to Disney World for the first time. Right. You know what I mean? And I saw my daughter's <laughs> face when she saw Cinderella's Castle. Yeah. And yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. okay, maybe not as exciting and magical as that, but, but. <laughs> but just as exciting, maybe not as magical. Because we're all jaded adults. That's so right. That's so much of a show on the outside sometimes. But, yeah. but, to, but to instigate a sense of wonder about these things. Yeah. 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 Routinely, teachers will, like when we do institute days for professional development, They'll thank us mm-hmm. for for treating them like adults. Well, then there's that. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> for giving them handy. a chance to yeah, hear that's... and to be part of a dialogue that's yeah. significant, that's important, that touches yeah. their disciplines, but also their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because ultimately it does. Yeah, and it prepares them for a good university experience along the lines that universities were designed for from the very beginning, right? To kind of inculcate that sense of wonder that all of these fields of information somehow fit together. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and historically speaking, I mean, that's the other side, because, of course, that's the second millennium is a deliberately ambiguous title. But another side of it is, is... you know, the positive side, like what was the almost the first task that universities accomplished was this integration of, you know, Orthodox, right. Catholic, Christianity, and Aristotelianism. Right. There is a way to do both of these at the same time that's logically consistent. And, you know, and of course Thomas Aquinas, I, I remember reading a little bit of Aquinas in high school and just being blown away that of, of just how careful he is to bring the very best versions of other people's arguments into his discourse and then answer them and do his absolute best to harmonize them. Now, and, and I think what's so instructive, uh, in addition to Aquinas, is the confidence he brings. He brings oh, yeah. the, the full confidence in the faith and its and it sort of explanatory power to the very best of, you know, se- you know secular philosophy. Yeah. I mean, he, the, the, yeah. The, I don't think he ever it really seems to entertain the possibility that something will be raised by Aristotle or by the, the Arabic philosophers that Christianity can't account for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. that sort of confidence, which isn't, which is, it, it's it's a humble optimism. Right. Um, it's not it, his doing that not, that's going yeah, to it's not his, yeah. He doesn't possess it. It's something that, he, you know, he has kind of constituted himself in a certain way. Yeah. And that's something that we hope to, to kind of instill. Like, you, yeah. you should have confidence in the faith to, it may be hard, but you have, the, the, the Christianity is not going to be surprised by the findings of evolu- you know, some evolutionary conclusion, right. right? But in fact, we should be excited about whatever we discover in the sciences, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that you know, and that it's fascinating in some sense. I mean, to take evolution for example, I mean, is is there a more interesting way of unpacking a line of scripture than you know that line in Genesis two about and he sculpted a man out of mud, right? <laughs> Which right. I mean, pretty early on, I kind of scratched my head. So you're angry about saying that we descended from apes, right? Yeah. Because you prefer the dis- because you prefer the description where we were created directly out of mud, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, in fact, um, and this is just this is just a really interesting. You know, yeah. we've actually gotten to learn some of the details about how that sculpting process That's happened. Right. Yeah, actually. Blessed John Henry Newman was on that, as mm-hmm. we say, I'm from Louisiana. Right? Like, he, like, was he was on that, like, he was on that, like, white on rice. rice that's, on a, that's a Louisiana. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because yeah. he was, I had he, no idea he actually lived, on that. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he lived through that era, yeah. He produced, uh, I mean, one of the greatest works of modern Catholic theology, uh-huh. the essay on development of Christian doctrine, yeah. which perceives something like evolution happening within our understanding of the faith, of progressing right. and specifying... Yeah. A higher complexity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was thirteen or fourteen years before Darwin produced *The Origin of Species*. There's that. Yeah. And what he did, he was asked by a free church, a free is it free Kirk or free church, Jay? I don't know. Free church minister mm-hmm. by le- by a letter that he received. Yeah. You know, if we could accept what Darwin was saying about yeah. that, and he goes, he says, um, he says, uh, uh, you know, this idea of human beings coming from the, the limus in Latin, the, yeah. the mud. Yeah. He says, well, it just probably took millions rather than, yeah. you know, moments. Right. Millions of years rather than moments. Right. Already he had the same kind of, you know, yeah. sort of understanding. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's not, yeah. That's not that huge challenge to, yeah. Right. Yeah. Does the other uh, trend that's going on in modern society, uh, relativism, 
make it harder or easier for schools to kind of uh, uh, try for this synthesis? That's not something that we really encounter so much, um, mainly because, especially on a cultural level, relativism seems to be, um, you could say, it's a self-serving moral practice. Yeah. You know, they don't, very, very few high school students are, are going to have anything like a metaphysical kind of anti-realism in which, you know. Right. Yeah. But, but if you start telling them that what they're doing is wrong or what their people that they're friends with are doing is wrong, then they'll say, well, it's wrong for you. And so yeah. what we tend to see, um, is actually kind of a hyper rationalism mm-hmm. with respect to our teachers. They want to say, okay, this is, this is great and it's very edifying to talk about God's loving intent in creating human beings. But I want to know what are the facts, and so there's a hyper rationalism that that makes a um, a sort of procedural cut along, you know, across the range of facts, as if God creating human beings in love uh, is not a fact, mm-hmm. and human beings being having a common ancestor with apes yeah. is a different. A it's yeah. a fact. It's a facts fact. Yeah, right. Right. So, right. So, yeah. But there's there's a a, yeah. a sort of epistemic superiority. Yeah. 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 yeah, But that, and it's procedural. You but know? interesting. Yeah. The interesting thing in terms of relativism, and you know this idea that you know there is no such thing as absolute truth or any yeah. of those kinds of ideas. The fact that we one one place where where most people, even people who claim to be relativists in some fashion or other, remain realists, yeah. is in their acceptance of science. Right. Science does put you in touch with the truth. Science yeah. does show you facts. It's interesting that by bringing faith and science into dialogue, mm-hmm. they can begin to see that there are truths of faith, yeah. right? Yeah. That can be seen in light of science. And by bringing those two together, opens their minds to the possibility. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's, you know, maybe, you know, uh, look, you know, water really is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom and one yeah. molecule. Yeah. And maybe God really is one in three. Right. You know, not, not that those two truths are necessarily directly related, but the point no. is, is that yeah. to begin to see that yeah. because theology can be robust and responsive yeah. in a respectful way to science. Yeah. Maybe theology has something to tell us too. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a, and, and I think that that's one way in which relativism, it's like kicking the, kicking in the back door of relativism. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you go and give your class a module on why relativism is wrong. Mm-hmm. And they might shut their minds from the beginning. If you're right. going to talk about evolution and creation and why they're different and why they're complementary, yeah. you're 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 eroding the relativistic idea, kind like of, that. you know, in a in a in a less direct but more effective way. It reminds yeah. me of the phrase, "The truth shall set you free." If you can accept the truth can exist somewhere, then you're suddenly free to accept the truth can yeah. exist elsewhere. Precisely, yeah. Yeah. precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truth is restless. I mean, that's the, the the wonderful thing about doing the work that we do. You can start start to establish, a, you know, a set of truths, and by sort of truth's nature, it be always is expanding. There's always more truth to be known, yeah. and it connects itself to other things. And before you know it, you believe a whole heck of a lot of things, right. uh, yeah. and you take yeah. them to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's overstated. I think can be overstated the you know that sometimes lines are drawn like I remember re- reading a book by Dulubach what is it I forget which one the title probably may come to you but I mean he he mentions more in passing it's not I don't think What's the, the actual book about? It's, it's like nature and grace I think is yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, book okay, right. and he mentions I think a number a number of places in passing some some things that really set a sort of you know I read them and I looked at them and I said I don't know that I believe 
you know exactly where the boundary between theology and science is. And there are, I mean, so for example, one thing that works, it, work, it works in Aquinian theology, it works in, should work in philosophy, um, it certainly works in science, is if you find an internal contradiction in your theory, you know, you know, in, in some sense, my theory can explain observation, but if I've got an internal contradiction, who's going to accept it? Mm-hmm. You know, no one, no one's going to accept my theory about how the asteroid Vesta formed if there's a logical con- a contradiction in sure. it. Right. And that will work the same way. You know, I mean, that, and that should work in a good theologic argument or discussion just so as well. We had a question at the Gulf Coast conference about similar questions. And one of the, the, the kind of most compelling strategies is to ask the, the questions of self-reference. Okay, so a statement like, uh, there's no such thing as, as absolute truth. Well, <laughs> yes. How, how does that state, how, how are we expected to take that statement as being absolutely true or not? Right, At that point, I mean, right. like, a classic. Right, you're, you're sort of an infinite regress very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You've, you've uh, annihilated yourself immediately upon contact. Maybe there's no such thing as absolute truth. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And then, then what are you even saying? Then what am I? What am I? I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I consume that much oxygen. <laughs> 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 I'm just sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the schools where you've seen this working so far, does it even tend to affect not just the science teachers <clears throat> and the religion teachers? But is there suddenly some kind of openness to the truth anew that um, it gets the, uh, the, the the mathematics teachers and the uh, sociology teachers and everything else to getting uh, together more, perhaps on a common syllabus kind of approach? Hmm. Well, I, I think, I mean, one of the things just from our recent trip to Holy Cross High School was some of the, the I think it was a sociology teacher, Wanted to know, okay, this is great. We have an, you, you've given us an idea of what integration looks like with science, the natural sciences and religion, but what about the social sciences? Right. So right. they, you know, I think for teachers who aren't directly, you know, employed to promote the science and religion dialogue, we show that integrated curriculum is possible. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know, like, so, okay, let's talk about other things. How do we do this in our own fields? How do we do this with psychology, sociology, economics, whatever it might be? Yeah. And, it, and just, it, it's proof that this is possible. There's no reason to think that a successfully integrated science and religion curriculum is limited only to science and religion. There's nothing inherently structural about science and religion that allows integration. These other disciplines don't. So we give teachers who aren't in the, in the field a chance to say, like, this is, uh, you know, analogically, this is what it looks like. You can do it, too. And yeah. let's talk about that when we have yeah. a chance. Yeah. 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 And, and um, there's, a, uh, there's a famous document from the Sacred Congregation for Catholic Education. So this yeah. is the church's congregation that deals with Catholic education. Yeah. And this was the first document that was produced, I think, by the, by the, by the congregation after Vatican II. It was in 1977. Okay. And it's called The Catholic School. Okay. And there's a quote in there that says that the task of a Catholic school mm-hmm. is to create a synthesis of faith and culture mm-hmm. reached by integrating all of human knowledge mm-hmm. through the subjects taught in the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're doing in faith and science is really just one place. Yeah, and it's arguably the hardest place. Yeah, for instance, I would love to see, I mean, if I could add one thing to all of this, mm-hmm. um, right away, the first thing I would say would be faith and literature. 
mm-hmm. faith in the arts in general. Okay. okay. Because I honestly think that um, an engagement of a person's imagination is even more potent in mm-hmm. some ways, right? Than simply teaching them theological doctrine. Yeah. If you're engaging there, if you're if you're helping instill in them a Catholic imagination. Yeah. Then, you know what I mean, being able to see literature through a Catholic lens and that kind of thing. You're giving them yeah. a vision of the world that they won't easily throw away. Yeah. Um, yeah. that'll be something that remains with them and that they'll that they'll actually um cherish yeah. about their own education. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an area. But psychology, sociology, um we get a, a lot of a lot of uh, mathematics teachers who come and participate in our mm-hmm. events and they'll generally get a lot from what we do in physics. Yeah. You know, um, and some of the, some of the mathematical issues and physics and that kind of thing. Uh, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get some benefit there, but it would be great to see it. And history would be the next. Yes. Yes. So in fact, um, yeah. Yeah. Literature and, you know, integration and in literature and faith, you know, in theology, integration of history and theology. These are, these are, these are ripe for the picking and need to begin happening. Yeah. 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 And, and sort of a broader understanding, a much broader understanding of, you know, that Catholicism is not just about rules. I mean, we have, we have dogmas. We do. Yeah. We do have a certain number of dogmas. I don't think they're, I mean, really, if you were to sit them all, I mean, like not the catechism, because God bless the, uh, the, the bishops who wrote the catechism, but they got a little wordy. Like, <laughs> there is a, I think there is room for, you know, the, the magisterium to turn to an idea of what is a solid, but, you know, close to the minimum reducible logical content <laughs> of, okay, these are the things that have been bequeathed to us by revelation. You know, right. There's not a huge number of things and, and to do a little bit of attempt to sort out tradition with a large T, yeah. tradition with a small T, mm-hmm. because, you know, we don't, you know, and, and, and as, as among other things, an aid to sort of separating our identity as Catholics from our identity with Whatever branch of a political spectrum we might be on. Right, right. Um, the, which is, you know, another side of, yeah, the, the whole dialogue, you know, history, you know, what's, what's politics, but sort of the, the froth at the surface of history. Right. In a sense, that's where we're at right now, but it's, it's all due to that. Yeah. But yeah, that is a beautiful idea that that's, you know, and again, I think almost doing religion, being able to, 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 bridge the faith and physical science is almost well we did the hardest one mm-hmm. let's go back and do i mean in some ways it's the hardest but in some in in some ways there's just so much more to do i guess with the social sciences and history or literature i hadn't yeah. even thought about that until you mentioned it but yeah yeah that's of course that's right of course that's right and of course what did what did being itself do when it emptied itself and became man it told a lot of stories <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. so to speak yeah. Oh. Do you find a challenge from the principles? Uh, uh, because uh, uh, not only because of all of the uh, uh, challenges we've talked about already, but there's just something about the nature of a high school that's uh, uh, intrinsically silo-driven. Uh, teachers tend to think of themselves as kind of the the, the lords and ladies of their classroom, mm-hmm. and uh, and that. Some kind of imposition of a broader syllabus might endanger their knowledge and skills as a as a teacher, or am I being very stereotypical there? Well, we have had, I mean, a very very small kind of territorial kind of response, but I mean, 
we're talking about maybe a handful of people that come to our seminars. What we typically find, at least um, as people have come through our foundation seminars, is the real issue are sort of ideological differences within the broader departments who aren't represented at the conferences. So we've had several teachers who come from, who teach religion, uh, and their colleagues are more or less, you know, young earth creationists who challenge the prospects of her salvation for thinking right. that, you know, we can actually talk about evolutionary theory or, or something right. like that. Um, so, so we, we don't, I mean, the territorial thing doesn't really affect us, so we don't see it very much. Right. Um, with administrators or teachers, the, the, I think the real, the real challenge that we deal with in terms of, of bringing out implementation vision and, and strategy it's the fact that teachers are woefully under overworked and underpaid, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're asked to do an incredible amount of stuff yeah. um, that distracts them from what yeah. it is they, they probably signed up for. And yeah. administrator administrators have a gigantic weight on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, first of all, they have to see to it um, that their teachers are meeting state and federal standards yeah. and those kinds of things. One of the things we try to emphasize in our implementation workshops is that integration of faith and science can happen in such a way that it doesn't have to have sort of a kind of invasive or blank check kind of space in the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that there are places where it comes up naturally. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can think about, for instance, in, in standard, um, you know, standard theological education is envisioned by the USCCB. When you talk about the Old Testament, you talk about Genesis. Yeah. It's a good place to talk about the relationship between faith and science. Yeah. Um, when you're dealing with um, the Big Bang in the science classroom, it's a great place to distinguish between what we mean by the Big Bang and what we mean by the Catholic doctrine of creation mm-hmm. and why they're not in conflict. You know, there are various places where this can be done. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding those places and knowing how to best make this distinction. And I often argue that um, making those kinds of distinctions and relations are actually conducive to excellent science curricula and excellent religion curricula. Yeah. Because you come to understand your discipline better when you're able to distinguish it from yeah. and relate it to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we answer and, and these the, and the elements within it as well. This goes back to, back yeah. to the back to the humility that Jay talks about with, you yeah. know, which, which we're so blessed to have these incredible presenters who come who all share that common trait. Yeah. You know, they know mm-hmm. this is where, you know what I mean? You don't hear the theologian in one of our panel discussions stepping up and saying, excuse me, Steve Barr, particle right. physicist. Please be quiet for a second while I tell you what I think about particle physics. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. We're all listening. When Steve's talking yeah. about particle physics, we're all listening. Right. Yeah. We also exactly. then can yeah. conjecture with one another. Is this what the church means about this? Or is this, you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when you talk about quantum mechanics, is this what this means or that? Yeah. That kind of respectful dialogue is something we want to model for teachers so they can go back to their school and do it. Right. And, and don't and don't tell them I said this because it might work against the humility that they have, but <laughs> why we insist on having... I can excise this part. <laughs> right, 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 right. The, the very best uh, speakers, yeah. the very best researchers um, in the field who, who can speak to the science religion dialogue. Uh, I just think about the... Because it's, it's at that level you have kind of watershed distinctions that are introduced. One, one quick example is when uh, John Cavini, who's a, a patristic scholar, yeah. a remarkable Catholic theologian at, at Notre Dame, uh, 
gave an entire kind of keynote on the idea that the doctrine of creation is a revealed doctrine. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. And he says, because we have no idea what creation means in a theological sense. Mm-hmm. And that had to be revealed to us. Yeah. Uh, is that so? It, one is manifestly different than the findings of natural philosophy that the universe is something that came into existence in some way. Mm-hmm. The doctrine of creation is, um, as revealed, is a, it kind of marks a theological index that we would not have otherwise. And once that was in place and people understood what we're doing, we're not giving this is not an air sense explanation. Mm-hmm. This is this is a sophisticated understanding, a texture, kind of a texturizing of the world in which we live yeah. and, and its origins. And, and so it's distinctions like that, which, which when you have some of the best minds in the world on a particular field, uh, telling teachers what they think is important, what's critical to, to teach this well, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, magnificent things happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just little distinctions that happen like that. Uh, and it's, I mean, I learn a ton every year just being around these people Yeah, and the teachers, uh, Seem to do too. So you think you start telescoping out, you know, generations, and you think, okay, we have a crop of students now who, in high school, are learning something that I didn't learn until a graduate school. Yeah. That the doctrine of creation is a revealed doctrine that has import uh, on these particular points, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how cultures are changed. I'm fascinated by your discussion. It's it's in the New Orleans uh, foundations where you go and you do some lab work as yeah. a part of the. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, again, thinking of Father Ehrman, but of course also being a geologist. You know, whether hopefully in the days to you know in years to come, you know, as this branches out and hopefully gets taken up by more people, um, whether there might be room for a uh, an outdoor a lab a descriptive science sort of you know maybe yeah. geology and ecology sort of uh, definitely um, but um, not but not in June in New Orleans. Not <laughs> in no, you want to stay in that <laughs> air that's right, that's right. That's we're going to have to find yeah. some like big July in there. Wyoming. That's a that's a great uh, <laughs> something time up in Yosemite or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yosemite. Yeah, 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 yeah that Father Terry brings to the table. Just you know, he gave a presentation last year at Foundations Notre Dame. Basically, that starts with kind of understanding water systems, water basins, yeah, yeah. river yeah. systems. Yeah. It was able to draw out of that an incredible amount of theological content, scientific mm-hmm. content. It was remarkable. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't do sort of environmental ethical stuff, but talking about ecology as sort of ecological systems has been incredibly interesting yeah. and, and very fruitful for ways of getting at the science and religion question that, may, that, that our participants and program instructors may not have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Chris, you said your book is uh, you have the second volume of your book is coming second out soon. Edition. Yeah. So my my last year of uh, my last academic year, 2017, 2018, before I moved here in July, okay, was I was on sabbatical from Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. Yeah. Writing the second edition of the textbook. Okay. Um, the textbook actually was part of my uh, what we call in Louisiana my Katrina experience. Okay. I was well. invited to propose the curriculum um, about. Six days after our home was flooded, and while we right. were evacuated to central Louisiana, yeah, and I probably would—I was the chair of the theology department at a college in New Orleans, Our Lady of Holy Cross College, yeah, now the University of Holy Cross, yeah, uh, and didn't think I'd have any time, right, to 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 work on this. Right. I would not have thought I would have any time, Isn't that yeah. and uh, certainly did not feel qualified to do it. Uh-huh. But at this particular point, I was wondering even if the college would open again. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and so the first edition was is really representative of 
the research that I did from 2005 to 2007. Yeah. Which was my first foray into the relationship between the Catholic faith and science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I attempted to make a kind of an A to Z sort of approach. Yeah. You know, um, I follow the same kind of format here. And now I have the benefit of, a, of, a, of an additional 12, yeah. 13 years of learning yeah. and speaking and engaging yeah. the topic and yeah. doing more research. Yeah. So I'm excited about people, being, you know, yeah, Father yeah. Or Stephen Barr, whoever. Right, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. Well, Stephen Barr actually wrote the forward to the first edition. Mm-hmm. And it keeps reminding me, he goes, you know, I haven't read the second edition yet. Right. So I hope you didn't mess it up. <laughs> you did okay with the first one. And I can picture him <laughs> saying that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's the same in the world. Yeah, right. So, but Steve actually, one of his, his book, Modern Physics and Ancient Faith, was one of the first books I read. Yeah. And one of, was one of the, and by the end of it, I had read yeah. many, many more. Yeah. And still remained at the one top. One of the best. Yeah. One of, if not the, the best. best. Yeah. And yeah. so the reason I book. became friends with Stephen, Steve Barr is because I, I, at the end of writing my first draft, I called him. Yeah. And I said, uh, I'm this guy, you know, I'm a guy teaching New Orleans and I've written this textbook on faith and science for high school. And I had an idea of maybe about 35 pages of the 200 page manuscript that I wanted him to read. Yeah. Just to make sure I didn't mess up the science. <laughs> right. Misunderstand yeah, exactly. the science. Yeah. And Steve was so gracious. He actually said, Are you, this is a great idea. Yeah. And he read the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, then, and that's kind of, then we began collaborating together on these, on, on education for teachers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. So there's a, there's a little, I hope I answered your question. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about seeing, uh, something that I, I feel. <laughs> Yeah. You know, is, is, is a, has a little bit more depth to it than yeah. the first edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a dramatic, uh, story of, of, uh, the manner in which God had the, uh, call delivered to you. Yes. To. <laughs> I would not be living in the frozen tundra now. <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway. There's, yeah. Yeah. But it was, a, it was, a, it was, it was definitely a, a great moment mm-hmm. and, um, uh, a great turning point in my own life. Although at the time I just simply thought it would be a one-off project that I would do to help a school. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how those things work out, you know. Yeah, yeah, some of them do. Yeah. And sometimes the thing you think is going to be a big splash ends up being that boutique item that you know. You yeah, right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Life is like that. Life is like that. So, yeah, well, I feel like there's several more podcasts worth of material. We can That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, oh, this has been good. I've been really yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. This has yes. been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. this conversation. So. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.